what was it like when you earned the name Doc? So when you get called Doc as a medic, you know, that's a big deal. Like you stop calling them by their rank, you stop calling them by their name. It's not, hey, Conaway. It's not, hey, expletive, whatever. It's Doc. Where's Doc? What's that like when you get that? Oh man, that was, uh, you know, you don't, I think it, it happens. And when it happens, you, you're so ingrained in the platoon and the brotherhood within that platoon that you, you don't, you don't really, you know, where I'm working now at Fort Benning, I'm not called Doc anymore. Right. And so now I, I really, I really picked up on how much I, I don't want to say enjoyed it, but it was like a level of respect that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah. And you, you start to understand, man, these guys weren't just doing this because they, they do it on movies. Right. But there was this trust. Welcome to the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Yuma Barnett, and today my guest is Zach Conway. I've known Zach now for many years, dating all the way back to our times in Savannah. Uh, we never served in the same company, but we served alongside each other there, and then we reunited at Third Range Battalion, where he was the senior medic, and I was a company first sergeant. Uh, we spent a lot of hours together there inside of a jock looking at TV screens. Zach's a ranger medic. Uh, that's something that you train extensively for, and you hope you never have to use your skills uh, to save somebody's life. And we'll delve into a little bit of that stuff. But Zach's just a, a great guy. He's got a great story. He's the guy in the platoon that can always find something if you need it, right? If you need a cup of coffee, or he'll come back with a whole coffee maker, and you just don't ask where it came from. That's the type of guy Zach can be. So I'm glad. I'm happy. Took the time to come on the podcast this morning, and I'll, I'll pass it off to him. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's an honor to be here. I, uh, I'm married to Sarah Conaway. Uh, I have three children, Gabriel, my oldest, Nora, and Caroline, my youngest. I come from Western North Carolina, uh, just, just east of uh, Asheville, Winston-Salem area. Uh, I had a great, I had a great childhood. My parents, um, they were, they were, they were awesome in the, in the way that they raised us was a, I would say different, um, more old school. Uh, and then my brother, man, I, I've really leaned on, continually on my brother. Even now, he's he's been, uh, we're thick as thieves. And coming from, from North Carolina, it was grandpa, my grandfather, he probably had the most influence on us. You know, he was the type of guy that when he spoke, everyone got quiet and everyone was oh, listening, yeah. well, you know. Everybody listens, right? One of those type. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and he rarely spoke. So if he, if he had something to say, then it was it was paramount. I mean, he was going to influence everybody. Um, from high school, baseball was a lifestyle for us. I had a dad who played baseball for a while. Uh, me and my brother, he was the pitcher. I was the catcher. Um, so we went pretty far with it. I went to college. While I was at college, I – I really had because of the sheltered lifestyle that I, I had as a child um, around 14, 15, I started getting really rebellious and then I had all that freedom in college. <laughs> and while I, uh, when I got down to college, I was making great grades in honor college for the first two years. And after my sophomore year, I, I just, from academic probation to getting in trouble to, I mean, you, you name it. Yep. I got into it. That's and, uh, that's funny, and that's not a unique story. There's, we could find, you could go to any company in the army and find that your story about, the, you know, I tried college and uh, had a little too much fun there, so I had to go grow up in the army. Is that kind of what you had to do? Oh, that's exactly it. Like uh, an eviction notice on your on your, uh, I w it wasn't an eviction notice because mom and dad were going to help out. 
but it was a realization that I needed to start making my own money and start making my own way. Right. Or I was going to end up behind bars or in a <laughs> ditch somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so from baseball in college, decided to join the Army. What was that? What led you to the Army and then choosing to be a, a medic? How did that all play out? Wow. That, that's a, so what led me to the Army was the, the fact that I was so undisciplined. I came from a very disciplined, you know, structured family life to college where I didn't do anything. Right. Uh, and then, to be honest with you, I think it was just a, man, I'll try this. Yeah. And the medical thing, that was unique. My, my grandfather died of a brain tumor. And when he died when he was 13, I always thought I was going to be a doctor because I was so angry. Uh-huh. I remember at that age being so angry that my grandfather was had died and those doctors couldn't fix it. So I want to be a neurologist uh, or a neurosurgeon. And <clears throat> that's what I was at school for, was pre-med. Oh, really? Um, and so that, going into the Army, you know, my initial intent was to become a doctor. Yeah. Uh, through the Army, get my schooling complete. And <laughs> while I was at AIT to be a medic, um, that, some I can't remember if it was a recruiter. No, I was an option 40. I was an option oh, 40. You came baby. in option 40, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how. But uh, then I got I got to airborne training. It seemed pretty easy. And then <laughs> these tambourines picked us up. And I was like, what? And my mom was crying because she saw me running away with these guys that were screaming at <laughs> oh, me. Oh, yeah. Your mom was at airborne graduation. And then I uh, they come and grab you from there. And you go straight to RASP. Yeah, right? Gonzo picked us up. Oh, really? Gonzo and this mortarman that was built like a brick house <laughs> and they were they were yelling at us oh yeah doing the standard thing we'd pick up our bags and run up to yeah run up to the regiment right mm-hmm. what year was that 2007 yeah uh so um when you went did you go to rip or rasp rip so rip was something that predates rasp the three-week selection course which was more just you know just get through it just survive don't quit to where now it's a little bit different. You have some of that, but we train them a little bit better now. But what a lot of people don't realize, all other MOSs, when you're done with RIP, you go to a Ranger Battalion, right? Or you st- or stay there at Regiment or whatever. You The medical, that's when your training really starts, right? And you, and you go to that. Can you speak a little bit about what that, that path is for a, a medic? Because it's pretty intense. Absolutely. We stay in a training status for six, seven months. You have a pre, at that time we had a pre-succum where you're taking tests. And you didn't want to go down to JFK, you know, yeah. uh, the school at Fort, the schoolhouse at Fort Fort Bragg, and and fill out. So if you weren't doing good with these tests, then you could get removed from the regiment. And that little training status yep. that we were there for for like six, yeah, about six months. Yep. Um, and then once we once we head down, we spend another at the time I think it was nine, maybe twelve months. We spend twelve months down at Fort. For Bragg learning our yeah. trade and yeah so yeah for some context for listeners because i always get asked to explain the acronyms so SOCOM is special operations combat medic right so it's an extra level layer of training for our medics um and you're in that i mean if you count basic training you're in a training pipeline for almost two years in some cases right that's it i think uh, on average when i was coming through you were like it was 27 28 months yeah if you included pre socom the weights between yeah, yeah. Did, was uh how was that was that challenging for you all the sockham stuff or did no, it come pretty natural 
It came natural. I was, uh, I've always been, I, I was blessed with a, a brain, mm-hmm. right? A big one. If you yeah, can see exactly. That's <laughs> yep, the helmet <laughs> on the battlefield. But uh, it, it, it did come, it, it came pretty easy. College yeah. helped with I that. I was going to say, yeah, I wonder if your pre-med stuff, you know, yeah. helped out. Yeah. The anatomy and all of that, um, which did not help me with time management. Oh, right. I would be out in Fayetteville, you know. Yeah, going back to my old ways. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, which can be easy to do down in Fayetteville. So you come, finish, finish all the medic training, mm-hmm. assigned to one seven five. That's it, and then come to one seven five. Um, again, it's different getting ingrained into a medic as a medic in a ranger company, right? It's just different. It, it, you got to earn some respect there. We got to trust you wholly with our lives, right? So what's that like? Those first. That first six months when you first got to a line company, what was that like for you? Man, in, in that time period, I think we've gotten smarter since then. Yes, but in for that sure. in that time period, when you showed up, I showed up in Herrera, uh, Herrera and Dalkey, they were gone. Oh yeah. Right. And so I was hit with the reality, like all that stuff I learned, this just got real. I'm gonna have to use this. Yep. Rick Porter was on the mission. He was a medic that went through Sockham with us. I think we'd been there for like two, maybe three months. Yeah. We just showed up and processed and then Rick's flying out. Yeah. Um, anyway, with all of, with that, when we showed up, it was, uh, it was another shark, uh, yeah. shark attack for yeah. medics. And the, the reason why was we were privates. Right. Yeah. Right. We were privates. We hadn't earned the, the, the nickname doc yet. Yep. And uh, those guys that were doc were beast of men, and they were more intelligent. They were some of the most intelligent people I'd ever met. You are dead on there. And yeah. Um, so you get to the Ranger Company Platoon Lifestyle. Um, what was it like when you earned the name Doc? So when you get called Doc as a medic, you know that's a big deal. Like you stop calling them by their rank, you stop calling them by their name. It's not Hey Conaway. It's not Hey Expletive. Whatever. It's Doc. Where's Doc? What's that like when you get that? Oh man, that was uh, you know you don't. I think it it happens, and when it happens, you you're so ingrained in the platoon and the brotherhood within that platoon that you, you don't you don't really you know where I'm working now at Fort Benning. I'm not yeah. called Doc anymore, right? And so now I, I really I've really picked up on the how much I I don't want to say enjoyed it, but it was like a level of respect that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah. And you, you start to understand, man, these guys weren't just doing this because they, they do it on movies. Right. But there was this trust that you'd earned. And this, uh, I, I don't know, the, the guys, uh, the best way I tried to explain it to someone was our guys do a lot of crazy stuff because Doc's on the battlefield. Yeah. And Doc will run through a hell of gunfire because his guys, there's this trust that's just. Yeah. It's hard to describe that enables each party to do more. Right. Right. Because right. They, they'll, they're like, well, Doc's here. If I'm going to live, he can save me. Yep. If I can live, he'll save me. And at the same time, Doc's like, yeah, I can run across that because they're going to cover my, yeah. my back. Yep. Deal. So, yeah. It is a, it's a level of trust when I, when you start calling him a, a medic doc, right? It's just the, it's just something about it. It's and I can't imagine you cause you're now the senior medic for all of Fort Benning. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably you kind of missed that. I bet that 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 part of it, the camaraderie, the brotherhood aspect, right? Oh, absolutely. That that transition from direct level leadership, you know, the, the tactical level where you're directly influencing the people you work with, 
that transition to the organizational leadership. Yeah. That's probably the toughest transition I've ever experienced. Yeah. Because you you signed up to do good for people. Right. And I would I would argue that we all non commissioned officers particularly yeah. signed up then to join the army because we needed change. Right. Well then we get to the army, we get an organization like the seventy fifth Ranger Regiment and we get that change super quick. Yeah. Now we want to spend the rest of our career helping young guys make that change. Right. And I, I, that's an observation I've seen since I've been at Fort Benning. Regiment does a really good job with the transition of boys to men. Right. And right. that was like their priority, their mission when I was coming through. Right. We're going to make you a good man. Right. All these other missions, we'll teach you that stuff. Right. But the right. hardest one is making you a man. Right. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to have been in regiment. Yeah. Moreover, to be a, a medic, uh, I don't know if I could have been as disciplined as quick as the 11 Bravo, the 13 <laughs> series guys, yeah. right? I got a lot of leeway, Yep. but I was also expected to learn and apply a lot. So. Yes, absolutely. So all those years that you spent in regiment, right? All the years that I spent in the regiment, we have seen some medical advancements on the battlefield that are second to none in any other conflict, right? Uh, if you just look at the numbers of casualties we've had over the years, if you would have put those same casualties in Vietnam or World War II, they, they'd all be KIAs, right? Um, what's some of the most significant things you saw come out of, you know, the last tw the last 20 years in, in the medical field? I, I know we have a lot of <clears throat> things that we do now, um, like with blood, but I would argue our system, Ranger Regiment system, and, and, and how our first sergeants, our commanders, even our battalion commanders are tied into that system and it flows so well. So the ARFR and the private who have the Rolo bag, it's a it's now a battle drill. Yeah. And so that system is why we've been successful. Right. Because if you just expected the medic to run up, draw the blood, the blood's not ready, right? Now now we're minutes behind. I, yeah, I think you hit on something there. It doesn't matter how good your equipment is. It doesn't matter, you know, what 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 you have or how good you are if everybody around you is not helping enable you to do it and I, I think you're right that's probably one of the biggest changes we've had is just you might be the primary medic but there might be three other ad advanced first responders back in the day we had emts uh so um it was everybody knew how to care for the care for a guy so if you were working on another casualty and you couldn't get there for a minute they could do it right so yeah it's uh that's that's true what's what about a technological thing is it the whole blood you think the biggest think thing we've ever seen can you briefly tell what that is the fresh whole blood program or ranger olo titer program um it it's given us the capability if we if we've taken cold stored whole blood out on target and we run out um and we have a, a casualty who needs blood then what we can do is we can draw from someone who's already been identified as olo titer we draw their blood and we transfuse it into our, our wounded or our sick patient. Uh, that happened on September or no, August. I think it's August yep. 16th, 2019 yep. uh, with uh, Sergeant Davis. Yeah. And I mean, if it weren't for the blood, then you know, he wouldn't be here. Ryan right. wouldn't be here. Right. And for, for anybody who's kind of wondering what he's talking mm -hmm. about, it's pretty simple. You can do a blood transfusion. Per, I could give you blood right now from my, from me to you in a combat environment exactly right and it's uh it's phenomenal stuff and it's i mean it's it's 
it's a little advances like that. And then having people have the knowledge of how to employ it that I think really makes a difference. Yeah. And you know, and I think, I think, uh, not to knock, uh, anyone, but there's small things that our communities progress with and the, the drugs, the treatment yeah. that we use for drugs that I would, I think are helping with PTSD on the, on the, on the back end. So yeah. you know, when, when we go into surgery, the last thing you remember about the surgery is 10, nine. Yeah. And then you wake up and you don't remember that instance. Yep. So we're using some drugs on the battlefield that can that can accomplish that or help with that yep. so that this traumatic events, I don't want to say forgotten, right? But minimized. Minimized. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. I'll ask you the question I ask everybody yeah. to give me uh what's Zach's definition of vulnerability. Ooh. I think it's the quality um of of being exposed emotionally physically right some would say it's a weakness right um but i would say it's a quality because i don't think there's anyone in the world that isn't vulnerable right i believe there was one right and we crucified him but right. you know not to go down that <laughs> yeah, right. down that road but so i think uh Vulnerability is just your quality or your the state of being exposed emotionally, yeah. physically, and just acknowledging your weakness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, because I don't like everybody that comes on, I don't think vulnerability is a weakness. Yeah. But we all have weaknesses. And if you tell somebody you're some people reserve it, they won't ever say it. And in our environment, that can be catastrophic, right? If you're if you have a weakness in related to combat. But if you know it and I know yours and you know mine, I got your back, you got my back. So Yeah. Uh, vulnerability is leadership, I think, is what was one of Don Barden said last week on the on the podcast, and I couldn't agree agree more. I mean, vulnerability is part of life. You either accept it and own it, or you don't, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, to, to your point, when you said leading with vulnerability, you, you asked me on the podcast. I was like, man, I've never thought of it in that context. Yeah. But you're exactly right. Right. I don't think you can lead. Yeah. Without without sharing or being it, exposed, especially you as a medic. If you've got a, a casualty sitting there and you're working on him, you've got to feel, I mean, you're in tune to what's going on, but there's some vulnerability there. Like if I mess this up, his wife might not see him again. His mom might not see him. His kids might not see him again. Yeah. I mean, that's some vulnerability right there that uh, you have to embrace as a medic. And, you know, if, uh, in another context, just to, to pour into what you're saying there, like if, if a guy asks me what drug we need to administer and I don't know, I'm not... I can't, I can't pretend, I can't fake it because the drug I give them, like, yeah. you know, I have to say, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a big part of vulnerability is saying, I don't know. Right. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in uh, combat, there are a few phases, uh, phrases we hear, uh, you know, suppressive fire, uh, breach is set, um, clear and secure. There's one phrase that we, you never want to hear. And I, as a leader, never want to say is get the medic up here or get doc up here. We have somebody down. Um, can you remember the first time that you got told that? It was in training. Um, and I, I won't speak to that one because the, the lesson that I was, well, I, I guess I can. In that training event, they were calling for a medic. And uh, I don't remember who the first sergeant was. I remember uh, Captain Fisher at the time being there. He oh, was yeah. my grader. And the lesson to be learned, I kid you not, was uh, not to go up the ladder. I'm, I can't, I'm not making this up, not to go up the ladder because we were on that training site with a pond. It had all the cement buildings and whatnot. Yeah. And we're you're gonna, talking physically go up a ladder. 
right. physically yeah. go up a ladder and get a guy that's been on the, oh, hit yeah. on the roof. On the roof, yeah. Well, then my first casualty set, when I say first casualty set caused by, you know, projectiles, I'd had casualties, you know, from people falling off ladders or, you know, um, yeah. random disease, non-battlefield type injuries. Yeah. But um, my first casualty set was John Penny. Oh, yeah. Nuppenberg. And, and, and the issue was we're climbing a ladder. Yeah. Right. And we had Penny who climbed the ladder. Um, and our, if it weren't for the like the intense training that we put our medics through or that yeah. I was put through, there's no way I wouldn't have climbed that ladder. Right. Um, and so it's it's hard to remember. I think we suppress. Right. And because uh, we do. Absolutely. We're, we're so busy like i'm not gonna grieve this because i don't have time to grieve appropriately i've got a mission tomorrow yeah and so i don't think i really i recorded everything in a journal unless i had that journal here i'd probably misspeak to the to the issue you know what what everything that happened but i do remember in that very instance um like i was so well trained that i was actually like questioning myself Uh i'm about to do this you're in a flow state you know and 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 then I'm coming on net and asking uh, Captain Fisher at the time, hey, I'm going to do this. And he's like, afterwards, he was an empowering man yeah. when it came. You know, he was very hard on and us. And this is when Penny was there shot. or the, the training? This is when he was shot. Yeah, yeah. So Penny was ki- a killed killer. He was a medic that was KIA in what year was that? Uh, uh, 2000, 2010. Yeah, 2010. And so you were the you were the medic treating the medic. Yes. So that's like the nightmare scenario. Well, it was nightmare because Nuppenberg was our EMT. Yeah. Penny was our medic, and then you got Fisher, who got shot in the back as well. Yeah, all because we were climbing on the roof. Yeah, you know, yeah, the high ground. And you know? we we changed the we've changed a lot of things. Based, I mean, hard lessons learned is how you change anything in life. You know, um, yeah, that's uh, fortunately, I've never had to say that in combat. I've never had to say get the medic up here, right? Because of something that bad. You know, I've a bit you know blessed really i think you know and somebody watching over me and the boys but uh, it's a it's something you don't want to hear and it, it doesn't matter where you are in the formation it changes the atmosphere of what's going on on a target when you know that they're treating one of your own right oh that was you know that was probably the biggest lesson learned there i had some triage lessons that i needed to learn i've got a brother down but you know i'm, I'm focusing on chest compressions because john's dead yeah let's be honest I, I wasn't doing it for the reason that everyone was looking in. Yeah. Right. But I started to acknowledge like everyone who should be pulling. facing out, pulling yeah. security because we're under attack. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, that's their main guy. That's doc. Yeah. I haven't earned, like, I, I wouldn't say I haven't earned doc yet. Yeah. They're calling me doc, but not, I'm yeah. not. Yeah. Doc. That, not, you're not doc penny. No. Yeah. And so when they're looking in, you know, I've got guys asking, Hey, how's doc penny? How's doc penny after we evacuate? Right. And that's, I started to understand what you were talking about. We, in those instances, you can really control the atmosphere and and present this relaxing state just with how you talk. Yeah. You know, like over comms, if you're the breathing heavy and I can't gain my, everybody else is breathing heavy and they can't gain their composure, right? So I messed up in that scenario and made your work. You remember me? Oh, yeah. Great man. Um, Made your work, uh, asked me a question, I yelled at him. And that's when I picked up on everybody, like, <laughs> looking in. Yeah. Like, I need to calm down. Yeah, yeah. Slow, slow down. I've seen you get worked up before. Sometimes we've all had to tell Zach to calm down at some point in his his, his life. But that's what makes it – I mean, that's what makes us who we are, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, all your time in uniform, 
right? What's uh, what's your what was your most challenging day, right? What was the day that you still think about or look back on, in in uniform that you're currently still in? That was just the most challenging part of it so far. There's two. Yeah. Um, one has to do with I come back from deployment of seven months, and my newborn son who would, who was loving on me before I left. Oh. Right, I come back, he doesn't recognize me, he's scared to death of me. Yep. And it wasn't because I was being mean. I mean, this was day one, right? And for the next two, three weeks, my son still didn't know who I was. Yeah. And so that made me really question, like, what I was doing and why I was doing it. That was, from an emotional standpoint, that was probably the toughest day I had. Yeah. But from an emotional and physical standpoint, there was, a, there was an instance where me and my mid-level rank as an E7... <clears throat> one of my guys, I told him we would give him um, time off, right? And we got like six months prior, we got this this individual, his pass, and it was for it was for a wedding for his brother. But the first sergeant and the commander, they revoked his pass. Yeah, right. Like two weeks prior to a wedding, and and that day, it was probably the the biggest professional dilemma i've been in yeah right uh because you want to be the guy that falls on your sword for everything right yeah right because then everybody will want you dead right eventually right exactly but on that day i was so angry you know the southern upbringing not much different than you in new mexico right like thickest thieves like that that made me want to fight yeah uh some higher ranking individuals and i learned a ton from from it yeah but uh i lost Unfortunately, because of my chain of command, I lost the respect. That was the day I would say that I started losing respect from this this talent that I was. I mean, this guy was the talent. Oh, uh, right, yeah. right, yeah. If there was anyone I wanted to do right by, yeah. So. That's uh. So what I what I think is interesting in what you just said there, right? Is both of those things are you serving others, right? Mm-hmm. You serving your family and failing. In your mind, right? Partially. And then you serving, making a promise that you weren't able to follow through for, for one of your reports or subordinates. And I think that just gets lost sometimes on our A-type personalities and our driven and our length. We are, everybody I know, in the, they're very, they're service. They just want to serve and make people better. Most people, you know. So uh, I always find it interesting when I ask that question because I always get a different answer. And in most cases, like most people, they it's not the combat stuff. It's not when somebody died. Because you were at your best during that moment, right? You gave everything you had. It's when something was out of your control that you couldn't handle that really just you, you dwell on it, right? It's uh, it's very interesting. We're an interesting group. You mentioned your wife and kids. Um, for the listeners, the medic life, you deploy, you come back, and then you basically deploy inside the States to keep up all the medical training that you have to keep up. So it's double challenging on, on the medics in, in the formation. Um How's your wife handled that all over, over the years? The, the kids, how how is that? I'm gonna blush, but most of the men who know me know Sarah. And when I get introduced, they'll say this is this is the angel that married Doc, <laughs> right? So she gets introduced first, and 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 most people are like Doc. We have no idea how how you got who you got, Sarah. Yeah. How she deals with it? I mean, we've been so blessed with the community here. Yeah. In particular, and then the community. I mean, it really is the community. Our wives, I would argue, are probably. <clears throat> I wrote a paper 
right? A speech, it was actually a speech. And in this speech, I said, like, the sacrifice isn't born of the men who are doing the job. It's the families that sacrifice. Because you might, I mean, seriously, if, if we were single, I think it's a single man's game, right? Yeah. If we were single, we, me, and, me and you would probably do it till we die. Right, yeah. Or we'd already be dead, probably. But exactly. Yeah. And for those that are dead, they were doing what they loved. And I think that's an honorable way to go. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a hard way to look at it. Yeah, I, I would love to have them here, but I'm so happy they died oh, the right. way they did. Right, uh, and I say all of that with the family aspect of it. Our women and our children. You know, I, I mentioned what what I went through with my son. Yeah, right. Uh, those are the guys. Those are the guys and gals that are making the the kids. When yeah. I say guys, but yeah. they're the ones that are making the sacrifice. They are. And I, to be honest with you, if it weren't for the community, yeah, like. If you've got a bunch of people willing to sacrifice, it's kind of like us. We live off of that being in the trenches and looking down the trenches and be like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That's oh, like, yeah. That's the moment that Absolutely. you're like, man, I, this is what I signed up for. Yes. I don't know why we're that way. Yeah. But I think it's the same with our wives. They are looking down that trench line and there's other good wives. Yeah. Right? Like the Jennifer Hartung, your wife. Yeah. Your Graham's wife. Right. Um, so they look down that trench line and they're like, Okay, and, yeah. and it's that sinew plus the church that they're in that, yep. that holds them together. So yeah, you're right. Our wives are definitely better than us. That's why. Uh, uh, no, not any offense when I say I hate when when I'm with my family and people say thank you for your service to me. Yeah, yeah. And I don't. I don't. I say thank. You know, I'm happy to serve, but I, I'm doing what I love. Right. Yeah. Tell my wife thank you for her service and my kids who. who had to do all this without me for you know five years of deployed time that's the real challenge you know so and you've been there too I, you've been the guy that's in the room and your wife introduces you and you're like you're the guy you're the husband that we've never seen before you know this stuff like that so yeah they are something else so you and your wife what's the key to success there how long you been married now um we're we're going on nine years yeah communication <laughs> i mean simple but it, it is it's the truth and every and it, you know we just did a recent study on injuries in the battlefield um, and it's hard to capture this but i would argue that communication kills more people on the battlefield good or bad yep than anything and i think in in our own battlefields you know like as soon as we cross the threshold right yep. that's that is a battlefield and and poor communication is going to get someone killed right. yeah not physically but fit, you know figuratively speaking and so we're more direct. Yeah. I know her love language. She knows mine. Yeah. We know that we need to dive back into it and that it's going to change over time. Yeah. But more importantly, the communication, like the nonverbal stuff, yeah. especially with kids. If I'm kissing Caroline before I kiss mom, that that, that sets a poor precedent. Yeah. You know, just there's small things. And those, an old man once said to me, have you ever been bit by an, uh, an elephant? I'm like, what are you talking about? Man? <laughs> yeah. And he, he was like, no. Nah. But you've been bit by an ant, haven't you? And I was like, man, yeah, I have. He's like, small things matter. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so, you know, right. bypassing the kids to kiss mama, that matters. Yeah. That's uh, vulnerability, right? Yeah. Opening up and saying when you're wrong and uh, saying when you think they might be wrong. So you can that starts the conversation and commu communication, right? I agree. Communication is key to everything in life. Yeah. Really? And it's really key in a, inside of a marriage, right? And uh you have to have three kids. Yeah. What are the age ranges there? We're <laughs> we're three, about to be four. So it'll be four, six, and eight. Four, six, and eight. Okay. So 
how's that you know i know my own struggles deploying back and forth all the time and leaving the kids how did you handle it how did, how did they handle it so I, i've kept a journal for the majority of my smart i wish i'd have done that of my career and uh at, when i had my son like the army i needed the army more than the army needed me absolutely more, moreover i needed regiment more yeah. than regiment needed me yeah and you know i drew some conclusions over time like you know the beret doesn't define the man, but the man defines the beret type deal. Yep. And <clears throat> in this journal, as I've been writing in it, I, as soon as we had Gabriel, I was like, this is, this is really important. So I write to him. Right. Right. And the reason why I write to him is he'll have a story of why I yeah. left. I yeah. want him to know the why. And, you know, there's a lot of heartfelt stuff in there, but there's also some stuff in there that I'm proud of. Right. Um, particularly like him. You yeah. know, if I can leave and tell him, there, there's those moments where you it crosses your mind. You're like, man, I told him to take care of his family or take care of our family. Yeah. And I'm talking to him on the phone that week. He's like, hey, dad, I'll be sure to take care of the girls. That's good. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's those moments that like promote this like pride in me. Yeah. Where I'm like, man, yeah, you, you're getting it. <laughs> you're getting it. And you're right. I've had some of those as Jackson got older, you know, in my last few years, those intentional conversations I had with him before I'd leave and go, hey, you're the man of the house now. You take care of mom, knowing full and well he's not going to do it, right? He's, but just that conversation alone, you can see how something switches in his mind, and he thinks, "Okay, dad's leaving. I've got to step up to the plate and help out." And they remember that it sets a sets it and it goes back to just communication, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter how old they are, you got to try to keep that communication. I think it's amazing that you keep a journal all this time. That's going to be something to look back on, you know, in twenty years when you're in the rocking chair. Yeah, yeah. I, the plan is to put it in Gabe's like hope chest yeah with his guns that he'll be handed down to me and hopefully i don't i don't have to open it up ever again yeah that's that's true yeah yeah um you've moved out of the 75th right you're over there at imco maneuver center of excellence doing the, the the medic thing how was that transition out of the regiment was it a big mindset shift um was it a big shift for you personally like what did you you're still being successful. What does it take when you leave something like that to go do something new, a transition like that? Oh, that's a great question. I I think the Army got it wrong when they did the leadership acronym. I think H should be humility, mm. not honor. I think honor is the byproduct of be, being loyal, being, you know, uh, duty-bound. If we walk through leadership, I think the H that they got wrong, it's not honor. It's humility. And I think humility is the key to success. Right. Uh, especially as you transition from a unit where there's so much talent, but moreover, so much, there's so many good people. Right. Right. We're still able to shape people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that transition that I was talking about earlier, that where, where I, be, I, I literally grew up in first ranger battalion, I became a man in first ranger battalion. That's happening for these army you know, guys in the general population force later. Because right. they're not getting the focus. Right. And so humility in the sense of, hey, regardless of your rank, we we need to focus on that right. before we focus on any of this staff work. Right. And I think you're right. humility is a great piece. It can be too humble, right? Oh, I've yeah. seen guys leave the regiment who have great leadership acumen, but they don't take it with them when they leave, right? They regress inside of the shell. You know, they're respectful, but they don't lead like they could. You know, they don't lead with vulnerability, lead with 
lead with their humility and and know. So there's a balance. Anything's a balance or the pursuit of balance anyway, right? So there's no, I don't know, are you, are you trying to come back into the regiment at some point or is that ship sailed? What do you think? I would if they didn't let me. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's a timing thing at this point. It's really yeah. what it is with you. So if you don't, you don't come back and never put that tan beret on again, right? That scroll. What was that time that you did have in the organization? What does that mean to you? Oh, man. I wasn't prepared for this question. I That time, I this is where I learned that being a good being a good family member will make you one heck of a ranger and being a good ranger won't make you a good family member. Right. And so it was it's the foundation foundational knowledge I needed as a kid or as a boy, a young man, whatever you want to call it, to become a man. <clears throat> I'm so eternally grateful for the the good times and moreover the bad. Yeah. Because I needed the bad, right, more than I did the good. The good enabled me; it mm -hmm. gave me more of an ego. Those bad times, though, they broke me, made me humble, yeah. and and uh, so when I look back on it, uh, it'll be, I'll, I'll remember it as a as a a place where I found my cornerstone, right, and 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 I started to build a house off of it, right, yeah, um, yeah. The the regiment will will humble you just as soon as you think you got it figured out. And you're starting to move out. They'll, it, the regiment, they ha, it, the, it finds a way to recenter you and say you're not you're not what you think you are, right? And that's what I love about the place. And that when you left or I'm leaving, it keeps going, right? And some people don't like that. They're like they're not recognizing me. It's a thankless organization. Has to be, has to be, right? That's the job. It's to go out there and win, fight and win our nation's wars. So they can't look back in the rearview all the time. And they do as best they can to honor traditions and past, but they got to be moving forward with something I really like about that organization. Well, I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So if you could go back, how long you've been in the army? 16 years? Almost 15. 15 years. Go all the way back. Private Conaway, right? And you could get and think of it for Private Conway, the medic, or the new medic that's sitting there right now in those barracks 30 miles down the road about to go into RAS. What advice would you give both of you? Go harder. I mean, we were pushing the limits, right? I think there was something in my gas tank. I pushed them as hard as I could early on. But I would want to go. go. I would, my advice would be go harder. And by go harder, like there are instances like I went to jail while I was in First Ranger Battalion. Not just jail, but Forsyth County Penitentiary <laughs> while I was in North Carolina for drunken debauchery, right? <laughs> this is why you're in regiment? Yeah. And uh, and and I wouldn't trade that moment because yeah. there was some maturing, some maturation that yeah. happened after spending some time yeah. in a cell with a murderer yeah. <laughs> that I needed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I wouldn't change that. I would say go harder, yeah. but not in the sense of partying. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what Big Sarge, what Platoon Daddy was telling us to do. Yeah. Be a train harder. Yep. All that stuff. I think you're right. Uh, I love, this is what I love about Zach. He just says, he says what he's feeling at the moment, anytime. Doesn't matter your rank, the situation, he tells you what he's feeling. And I know what you mean by go harder. You don't want to look back and say, I, if I would have only, I had 10 more percent and I didn't do it. And you know you didn't do it, that eats at you, right? It will yeah. eat at you. Because I can think of moments right now when I had that extra 10% and I, for some reason, I didn't give it, right? Um, and I can think back of those times I gave the 110% and I love them, right? Those are some of the greatest moments. And they might have been even ended with failure, right? You yeah, absolutely. Know, like, you know, from, yeah, it's, I'd say go harder. And 
it's all because you were you were doing it along guys who were pushing it. Yeah. I I didn't even know I was capable of some of the stuff I was capable of. Right. Until You're I got to regiment. Right. And that's because they made me push harder. Right. Yeah. And and so that's that would be my advice. These guys are going to push you hard. I want you to try and go harder. Go till you pass out. Type yep. And mm, I think a lot of guys they self select in regiment. And then regimental guys, they'll self-select out of an education or a job position because they don't they don't understand it. They don't take the time to cultivate the emotional intelligence and the humility and the vulnerability. Um, so you can always, if you fail, it's okay, right? Well, I've always said as a medic, we we got trained to fail. You never had a good AAR, right? Right. Uh, and so I've always it kind of cultivated within my theories, my own like. Uh, you know, the way I viewed medicine, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Right. The problem is in regiment, the word failure, oh man, it is so frowned upon. It's a dirty word. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and sometimes leveraging failures, right? Yeah. Just to show a command team like, hey, we can't do this. Yeah. Because if, if we do do it, I'm going to fail over here and that's yeah. unacceptable. Right. So. Absolutely. Well, Zach, I appreciate you taking the time on this uh morning to come down and sit down and have a conversation with me it's been fun uh i appreciate it. i appreciate all you've done like from me to you thank you for your service uh thanks for all you've done as a medic and that's a challenging job that uh, i'm glad i never had right and but i know the people who are medics that, that they love it they absolutely love what they do and uh we wouldn't be where we are today without where the medical field and the regiment has advanced. You know, we'd have a lot more names etched on walls if it wasn't for you guys. So I thank you for what you've done and the training you've given and the training you continue to do, you continue to serve. And I appreciate it. And, and thanks for coming on here. Yeah, thank you, brother. I love you like a brother. I, I do. Thanks, man. All right. All right.